Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. We're so glad you joined us here for the conversation as we go verse by verse through the book of Jeremiah. Our series, The Hard Truth, is looking at this Old Testament prophet's messages of sorrow, judgment, and hope. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Hello, my dear friends, and welcome back to today's podcast. I don't say it enough, but uh, I really do appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, the fact that you would take time out of your day to spend some time in the Word of God uh, together with me is just uh, so encouraging. So thank you for your commitment. And I'll tell you, Jeremiah, I love the Word of God. I love all portions of the Word of God. But let's face it, Jeremiah is a heavy book. We've entitled this whole series the hard truth. And sometimes the truth is hard to hear, but how much better and how good is God that he has given us this, this really tough stuff to hear, but for our benefit so that we can see that God means business and God says what he means and we dare not uh, do it our own way. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And we've seen that over and again in this uh, book of Jeremiah. We're in verse number 30 today of chapter number 25. So if you would, uh, if you'd like to just follow along, I'm, I'm going to begin there. Watch, watch what it says, ver verse number 30. Therefore prophesy thou against them all these words. So remember that the people have just made up their mind. Uh, they are rebelling against the Lord. We've just gone through a, a litany of the nations that are going to suffer because of their own rejection of God. And remember that every one of us must give account of himself before the Lord. So what's true about these nations in the Old Testament is true about us New Testament Christians. And that is that we have all been given uh, our our boundaries and our gifts and and our experiences and that's why we dare not compare ourselves among ourselves or measure ourselves by ourselves but understand that one day we will answer to God and what God has given us comes into place uh, so uh, the, God God looks at each one of us individually just as he looked at these nations some had greater opportunities than others uh, some were stronger than others, but the point is that every one of them had the the responsibility to show fidelity and allegiance to God. And at the end of the day, they didn't. Look at verse number 30 again. So prophesy thou against them all these words. So Jeremiah, here's what I want you to say. Say unto them, the Lord shall roar from on high. Now, what we're going to find in this passage as we wade through it is that we see the Lord as a, as a lion in these passages. And the Lord shall roar from on high and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He shall mightily roar upon his habitation. He shall give a shout as they that tread the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. So some of this imagery would be difficult perhaps for you and me to understand because we don't live in that culture and we don't know about you know stamping out the grapes and an agricultural society. But apparently when grape season would come and they would 
trample the grapes and turn it into uh, wine or grape juice, it would be a very festive time of year. And there would be singing, dancing, and celebration, and shouting at the time of the stamping of grapes. But the, the illustrations turned upside down in this verse because what the Lord is telling here is that the, the grapes are the grapes that are preparing the cup of wrath. Remember, we talked about that last episode, the cup of God's fury. And so the shout here is not a shout of celebration, but a shout of judgment and how sad that is. Look at verse number 31, a noise shall come even to the ends of the earth for the Lord hath a controversy with the nations. The idea behind a controversy with the nations is it's almost like a legal term where the Bible is teaching that God has a case against the nations of the world. So it's almost as if there's this grand courtroom. I I picture that great passage there in Micah uh, chapter 6, the grand courtroom in which uh, God is arguing his case, and he has a case against the nations. And how many of us understand that if we meet God in the courtroom, he's probably going to win? Matter of fact, there's no probably about it. And the Bible says that God has a controversy against the nations, He will plead, that's again a legal term, with all flesh. He will give them that are wicked to the sword, saith the Lord. So sometimes in our lives, we we like to play judge, jury, and executioner when it comes to the way that we feel like we've been mistreated or the way that uh, situations have unfolded in our life and we take matters in our own hand. But the fact is, human judgment is flawed. And the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. But in passages like these, where God is the one that is exercising wrath, and God is the one that's making a case, and he's the one that is indicting, and he's the one that is judging, and he's the one that is ultimately bringing forth that judgment in execution, we can know this, God always does what's right. That's why the verse before said, he looks from his holy habitation. Shall not the judge of all the world do right? So as we see the judgment of God, we can know that God renders his judgments in truth. And and we can also add this, and he's long-suffering and forbearing. And while it's difficult for us to read passages like these, where judgment finally comes, understand that judgment typically comes lately, uh, comes comes uh, late when, when, when it comes. Uh, comes to the Lord's judgment. I think about 2 Peter chapter 3, where uh, Peter talks about scoffers uh, that scoff at believers and say things like, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. But then Peter answers, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was perished, being over, overflown, flow, over, um, flowed, I think, is, I forget what the word is, with water. But, but, the, but the earth, which is now, by that same word, are kept in store, reserved in the fire against the day of judgment. Uh, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now, the Lord is long-suffering to usward. No, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise. What's the whole point? The point is, sometimes we, we, we think, you know, where is the judgment of God? Now, we never ask that about our own sins. We never ask that about our own 
uh, lives. We're, we're always we're always pleading judgment and justice when we're the ones that feel like we're uh, we're suffering, and yet God is never late. He's always on time. And the reason why there are, from our perspective, delays in God's judgment is because of God's mercy, God's long suffering, and we see that even here in the Book of Jeremiah. I didn't say that as well as I wanted to, but I think you get the point I was trying to make. Look at verse number 32. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, there's our name for the God of the army, the God at war. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, behold, evil shall go forth from nation to nation and a great whirlwind shall be raised up from the coasts of the earth. Get the picture. It's like this this tornado that's whistling through all the nations of the world, bringing judgment. It really reminds me of the judgment at the end of all time in Revelation chapter 19, or perhaps the judgment of the nations, right? When Jesus comes and returns to this earth and and judges the nations of the world that stood in opposition to him. Because here in the passage we've read in chapter 25, we read about all these nations, and the judgment that's coming because of the rejection of God. Look at verse number 33, the extent of the judgment. And the slain of the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the earth, even unto the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented. No one's going to cry for them. Neither gathered. No one's going to pick them up and buried and give them a proper burial. They shall be dung upon the ground. That would be such a shame, especially to God's people, not to be buried. Their bodies will do be nothing but fertilizer is really what, what the passage is teaching. How sad. Look at verse number 34. Howl, ye shepherds, and cry. Wallow yourselves in the ashes, ye principal. That's principal, P-A-L. In other words, leader, you leaders of the flock. For the days of your slaughter and of your dispersions are accomplished, and ye shall fall like a pleasant vessel. My note says pleasant vessel, a precious vessel. You'll be shattered like a vase that drops upon a hard surface floor. It, it, you, you'll, you'll be destroyed in that sense. So who, who is a Jeremiah speaking to here in this message when he says, howl ye shepherds and the principle of the flock? Well, I think we have learned this already that in the Old Testament, the shepherd was the civil leader, uh, the governor, the, the mayor, if you will, the king. And what the Lord is saying here is just go ahead and cry. Go ahead and lament. Uh, roll around in the ashes. Lift your hands up in, in utter desperation. Why? Because the people you lead are going to be destroyed. The people that you're supposed to watch out for, that you're supposed to lead and guide and provide for, they're going to be gone, and you're going to be there to howl in misery. Look at verse number 35, and the shepherds shall have no way to flee. Uh, The leaders aren't going to escape judgment either, nor the principle of the flock to escape. So it's almost as if the leaders are going to watch their people be destroyed, and then at the last, they also will be destroyed. I think about the story of Zedekiah, the last king of Judah before the ultimate destruction of Jerusalem, how that the Bible teaches that he was uh, forced to watch his own sons be put to death. 
and then they gouged out his own eyes and carried him away to captivity. Boy, that is gruesome. And the point here is that leaders are going to be held to a much higher level of culpability. They're going to have a much more poignant sense of shame and defeat. And that, that, that should be a lesson to all of us leaders, that we have a greater accountability before the Lord. James chapter 3 and verse 1. Look at verse number 36. A voice of the cry of the shepherds and an howling of the principal of the flock, those would be the leaders, shall be heard. For the Lord hath spoiled their pasture. Spoiled, as in the spoils of war, have, has taken away their people. And the peaceable habitations are cut down because of the fierce anger of the Lord. The time of peace, the time of security, the time when the enemy was not engaged in incursions. Last verse I'll read, verse 38. He hath forsaken his covert. A covert was uh, the safe place where an animal would, uh, a lion's den, uh, a jackal's lair. So God here, like a lion, he has left his lair. He's left his sleeping place. And as the lion, the Bible says, for the land is desolate because of the fierceness of the oppressor and because of his fierce anger. So boy, don't, don't, don't waken the lion. Now think about that, that idea that God metaphorically is a lion. Think about Jesus being the lion of the tribe of Judah. I love the Chronicles of Narnia, don't you? Great uh, children's series by C.S. Lewis, but way deeper than a children's series. Remember when Mr. Beaver was trying to explain to Lucy about Aslan? And Aslan is a lion. And of course, he's a picture of Jesus. What a great symbol that is. And Mr. Beaver said he's a lion. And, and Lucy said, ooh, I, I thought he was a man, a lion. Is he is he safe? I hope he's safe. And Mr. Beaver said, who, who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's good. And the point about God is, you know, God is, he's a good God. But, but boy, he's not weak. He's not just this, this namby-pamby, wrapped in love and mercy, no, on this side, we see uh, he is a force to be reckoned with. And we dare not, we dare not trifle with our God, who is the lion and a consuming fire. And that's the point I think Jeremiah is, is preaching in verses 30 through 38. So that's it for today. We'll end there at the end of chapter 25, jump into a brand new chapter tomorrow. Hope you'll join us for that. God bless you. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.